Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I think some Christians, and most people, let me, let me rephrase that. I think there are sometimes when we encounter an obstacle in life or we have some trouble in this life, we're surprised by it. So I, I think uh, this is especially true for Christians. They think, hey, I've, I've joined God's team. I've committed my life to Christ. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as far as I can understand. I'm obeying what Jesus called me to do. And then we encounter trouble. So the Christian would encounter a cancer diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or bad news at work or just general depression. And we seemed shocked by this and we think, what is going on? Why would, if I just started following God or if I've been following God for a while, why would bad things happen now? And yet, we shouldn't be shocked by this. Christ says, in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So in the meantime, while we're taking heart, we are still going to experience trouble. This is a theme that began way back at the beginning, the trouble of this broken world. Last week, we started looking at these themes found in the Old Covenant, this Old Testament. God was setting up these themes about how life is going to work and how we enjoy the New Covenant in Christ, but we're still going through the themes that God has set in motion and in place. And so we looked at how um, God is ruling and all-powerful and God calls us to serve, and that still translates into the New Covenant where God is ruling and all-powerful and calls us to serve. But one of the themes that I think we're shocked at is this theme of, I have done what I'm supposed to do, and then I encounter something hard, something troublesome, something that hurts. Moses had this happen to him. So when we started looking at Moses last week in the book of Exodus, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go worship me. And so Moses obeyed, he went to Pharaoh, reluctantly, mind you, he didn't really want to, he said, I don't speak too good, Um, what if they don't believe me, God gives him these miraculous signs to do, and he's like, ah, just send somebody else, and uh, God said, no, Moses, I'm going to send you, Moses did this, he went and he obeyed God, and then things got worse, so here's here's the scenario, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. They have to make these bricks for their slave masters. So in the the middle of the desert, they make bricks by uh, the Egyptians provide them straw. They mix it with mud. They make it bake in the sun, and then they have bricks. You ever wonder where the pyramids came from? Okay, slavery. The Israelites are slaves building these structures for the Egyptians. Some of those structures are still standing today. These bricks are sturdy. Well, Moses goes to Pharaoh... Pharaoh considers himself a god. Egyptian is overrun with all these spiritual forces, gods with little g, powerful spiritual forces, but still not the god. God created these spiritual forces to serve him. Some of those spiritual forces rebelled against God. 
the father. And Pharaoh thinks he's one of them. And so Moses appears and he says, Pharaoh, the God who created everything and even you says to let his Israelites, his people, his chosen people go worship. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he gets mad and he says, this is where things get worse. He says, oh, you want to go leave? It's probably because you are lazy slaves. And so he says, I got an idea. Something will shut you up. You'll have to work just as hard and harder to meet your quota for bricks, but we're not going to provide the straw for you anymore. So not only do they have to make the bricks, but now they have to go hunt for the straw to use to make the bricks. And it gets worse. So the Israelites are being beat more than they've ever been beaten. They are lower than they've ever been made low to be. And they are working harder than they've ever had to work. So now, not only did they not have time to worship, they didn't have the time off they had before as slaves. And they began to complain. Moses, you've made this worse for us. And Moses went to God and he complained. He said, I'm I'm doing what you said, but it's gotten worse. Why have you done this? That is a question Christians will often ask God. These themes found in Exodus still carry on thousands of years into today. It's amazing. And yet God wants to remind us of an overwhelming bigger theme about how he is powerful and how he hears our cry and he keeps his promises if we trust him. A theme set up from the beginning of time that still lasts to today. We're going to pick up that story about Moses in Exodus chapter 6, the very end of Exodus chapter 6, verse 28. We're going to read a couple of verses there and move into chapter 7, and we're going to see this theme about God and why we are supposed to worship Him, even though sometimes when we worship Him and we obey Him, things don't get better for us. But it is better at the same time to worship Him. Three reasons why God is better and still good even in the midst of trouble is found in Exodus, end of chapter 6 and in verse 7. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to spend some time on that today. If you'll turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6, we'll start in verse 28. Here's what God says. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses, he said to him, I, catch this, we need to hear this, I am Yahweh. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses, he said to him, I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything that I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then God spoke to Moses, verse 1 of chapter 7. See, I will make you, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say to Pharaoh everything I command. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment... I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know I am Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and I bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. And we also need to catch this. Don't forget this part. 
Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. It's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. There are three areas that God wants to see us to see about him in this passage. One of the themes in Exodus that God continues all the way through to where we are today is that he is worthy to be praised, that he hears us when we are in trouble, and that he rescues. And so there are three beautiful themes found in Exodus here that we need to see and recognize that are all about God. God speaks, God sins, and God saves. S words so you can remember them. God speaks, God sins, and God saves. The first one I have trouble getting uh, away from. I just spend time and more time and more time here, and the more time I spend here, the more I am just amazed that the God of the universe would speak and communicate to us. In Moses' day, in Egypt and the Egyptians, there were all these spiritual powers that they recognized, probably better so than we do. There are spiritual entities in the world, lesser powerful spiritual beings. There are angels and there are demons. They were all created by God the Father, Yahweh, to serve him. Some rebelled against him. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And along with Satan were the other demons that were with him that rebelled against the Father, rebelled against Yahweh. And they set up camps on earth. God says there's going to be a judgment over those demons and over those little gods, gods with the little g, but the time is not right. But we interact with those spiritual beings daily and sometimes we don't recognize it. The Egyptians and the Israelites, they recognize it. They said there's lots of little gods. They didn't call them little gods. They said there's lots of gods. There are these spiritual beings, gods with little g. And they all had names. Pharaoh was involved in this system of spiritual powers and they, uh, Egypt had over a hundred different gods that they worshipped, but they had some that were more powerful than others, and Pharaoh felt like he helped run it all. He felt like he himself was a god, and his son was a god. And so when God appears to Moses, you know, the God of all creation appears to Moses through his angel, the servant in the burning bush, Moses is like, well, what god do I tell him is sending me? There are lots of spiritual beings. I just came from Egypt. There's spiritual beings there. What God are you? He said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. I am the God who was and who is. You can call me Yahweh. This is really important. God who created everything, who created the earth and all these lesser spiritual beings and people who rules over the universe speaks to us. And if you think about it, a God of the universe who is also loving and wanting to communicate to his people would do so in a way we could understand. And so he speaks creation into existence. He knows that we can understand the things we see. And so all of creation speaks to God's glory and power and might. And he wants to speak to us in a way we can understand. So he uses audible voices through his angels and through his servants. And he speaks to his servants. And he wants to use ways that we can understand. And so he told Moses, you need to write these things down. 
chapter 17. I think it's chapter 17, maybe it's chapter 14. I can't remember now. First time in the Bible where God says, write these words down so you will remember what I say. He communicates to us through his word. And all of this is pointing to the idea that God wants us to understand him and know him and be involved with him. And so he communicates, he speaks to us in ways that we can understand. Is there a better way that he could communicate to us other than verbally and with the written word? I love this part. It all points to Jesus. And the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came down and he took on humanity without losing any of his divinity. He hid his glory and his power and his majesty underneath his human flesh. He wanted us to know what he was like, so he became us because we kind of understand what we see and hear from each other. He speaks to us. This is incredible to me. That God the Father would send Jesus the Son, Jesus in his throne room in heaven, being worshipped by angels, in his glory and power and might, makes himself small. I cannot imagine the enormity of God who creates the universe, who literally upholds everything with his powerful hands, making himself small to become a human. He sees the nations as dust on a scale, and he made himself even smaller. And then, not only did he make himself human, he made himself low. He made himself a poor slave. Because the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt, and they were slaves to the Romans. Jesus was a Jew, an Israelite. He made himself even smaller and submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, which was only reserved for the poorest of the poor and the slaves. It was not for Roman citizens. He made himself, if you can imagine, as low as you can get so he could lift everybody up. That is our God who speaks to us the love and glory and beauty of that, we need to latch on to because it is so beautiful that one so big would make himself so small so that we could know him and love him. What do you cherish about Jesus? If you just want to start there, that's a beautiful place to start, to have Jesus as your treasure. And it starts here in Exodus where God speaks to Moses. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses. Then this amazing thing happens next. God not only communicates to us, but he also wants to communicate through us. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. You are to say to Pharaoh, everything I command. God is setting up this theme of wanting to speak through his servants. Pharaoh worshipped a lot of different gods, himself included. And God told Moses, I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. I'm going to show him who's more powerful. I am. I am Yahweh. I'm going to do that through my servant Moses. And his servant Aaron. I'm going to speak through them. God is always speaking through servants. 
He speaks through his angels. He speaks through his people. He speaks through his prophets. All of this is pointing us to look at how Jesus would come and he would be God himself and God would speak through him. Jesus says, I only say what the Father above tells me to say. I only do what Father above tells me to do. But it doesn't end there. After Jesus Christ died and he told his disciples, I'm going to be dead three days. And they didn't believe him. They didn't understand it. And he was dead three days. And then he rose from the dead. He gave instructions to his church, his people, his disciples, his apostles, and then he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, and he said, when I go, I'm going to send my helper to you. And 50 days after the resurrection, he does. He sends the Holy Spirit. It sounded like a rushing wind, and these flames, tongues of flame that they could see descended from heaven and rested on them. The Holy Spirit was in them. And you know what they did after the Holy Spirit came in them? They began to speak the very words of God to the people around them. Beginning with Moses, God always wants to speak through his servants and it doesn't stop with Jesus, although it points to Jesus. It continues with his people. We are called to speak for God. God has given us this responsibility and this mantle that we've put on our shoulders where we speak the words of God. Don't believe me? In Exodus 19, God started this theme. He said, I'm going to make you a nation of priests. Everybody's a priest for God. We come all the way to the New Covenant and Jesus Christ and Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he said, we are being raised up to be a holy nation, a priesthood of believers. Priests are God's spokesmen. Paul says he has made us ambassadors for Jesus Christ as if he were speaking, making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 20. God wants to speak through you. And Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he goes back and he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, this is kind of crazy. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We are called to speak for God the very words of God. We are called to serve for God, the very actions of God. And this is a theme that God set up at the beginning of time, and he set it up in Exodus with Moses, and it all rolls forward and points through his judges, his kings, his prophets, and then all to Jesus Christ who spoke for God and served for God, and then God gives us the responsibility to go and do likewise. Are we taking that responsibility on to speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And every time we speak, it's as if we were speaking the very words of God, serving with God's strength. Are we doing that? Because we are called to do that. Not only does God speak, He communicates to us and He communicates through us, but God also sends God sends his wrath in judgment and he sends his mercy in salvation. This is another theme that started in Exodus and it will continue on. It starts there with Pharaoh. God tells Moses, he tells Moses, say to Pharaoh everything I command you 
And Aaron, your brother, is to tell Pharaoh, is to say to Pharaoh, let my people go out of Egypt. And then God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He sends his wrath in judgment. Pharaoh had an opportunity to go to God, to submit to God's authority, to know that there was a God greater than himself, to know that there is a God greater than the gods of Egypt, to repent and go to God, and Pharaoh rejected and rebelled against God, and God knew that it would happen. And so he said, you know what? Pharaoh wants to go down that path that leads nowhere. He wants to go down a road that leads to death. I will keep him there so that my glory will now be displayed where everybody will know that I am God over Pharaoh who claims to be God, and I am God over the Egyptian little powers that exist. You want to know what my name is? My name is Yahweh. And I'm not to be trifled with. And so the judgment came on Pharaoh and God's wrath was poured out and he said, I'm going to multiply my signs and wonders. That's the plagues that are going to come on Egypt. I'm going to stretch out my hand over Egypt. And they will suffer because they received judgment. When God was setting up this theme of judgment and then wrath, he did so uh, in a very clear way in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, he lays out the Ten Commandments, um, all of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, this, uh, the books of the law, the Torah, the book of Moses, these five beginning books of the Old Testament is this grand story of how God is interacting and working through his people to save and bless everyone. And in the midst of this story, there are moments where the people mess up and God says, here's some rules so you don't have to mess up. And one of those was the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And here's what God says about his judgment and wrath. And we need to hear this. This is very scary and very powerful. He tells them, you shall have no other gods before me and you should make no other idols to worship those gods. And in verse 5 he says, you shall not bow down to worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, for I, Yahweh, your Elohim, I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The judgment comes and the wrath extends not only for the people who rebel against God, but it continues on to the third and fourth generation. God sends judgment and wrath, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that His mercy does not last forever, and His call over our life to serve Him and to speak for Him will not be forever. He is coming back to claim who is His. And those outside of Christ will receive judgment and wrath. But what I love about verse 5 is the follow-up in verse 6. Because whereas God claims to send judgment and wrath to the third and fourth generation, in verse 6, he shows us a theme that is even more prevalent, where God is predispositioned not to give wrath and judgment, but to give mercy through salvation. If he punishes up to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him, verse 6 says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Our God is a merciful and generous God. He upholds justice and he punishes every sin, but his predisposition is like every good parent. He wants to love his children and love his creation, and he wants to love us. 
if we just weighed the wrath and judgment against the mercy and salvation, mercy and salvation is up to a thousand generations. And wrath and judgment is the third and fourth. God's predisposition is to save. God sends judgment and wrath, but He also saves. He sent this plagues on Egypt so that they could be saved. So that they would recognize that He is God above all gods. And so He could rescue not only the Egyptians, but the Israelites too. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says it this way. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 19. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and He will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day Israel will be third along with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. God wants to save everybody. He sends mercy and salvation and makes it available to anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. And this theme is set up in Exodus. And it continues on and must be actionable and taking place through the church. We gather together and we sing some songs speaking as if we were speaking the very words of God. We not only praise God with our music, but we also encourage each other because we're speaking the words of God. Our music is taken from Scripture. Somebody has taken Scripture and they've made it poetry in English language, American English, by the way, and we sing it. And when you sing on Sunday morning, you are giving praise to God, but you are also speaking the words of God to encourage other believers. The opposite is true. When you don't sing, you're rejecting God's call for you to speak in His place. You're rejecting His call to serve, and you're not encouraging each other. But His desire is to send mercy and salvation and work through us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says... God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Are we speaking for God? Are we bringing mercy and salvation for God because He's called us to do those things in the name of Jesus Christ, to be His ambassadors, making an appeal through us, speaking the very words of God? Are we doing that? Moses didn't want to. Moses said, hey, I don't speak well. I don't like getting in front of other people and speaking. You, you know the type, somebody who doesn't like to be in front of people. I don't really understand what that feels like. I think Jerry Seinfeld said, um, he, he read a quote where the number one fear of Americans is standing in public and speaking. Number one, number two is death. And he said, that doesn't make any sense. That means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than making the eulogy. Moses didn't want to. But I want you to look at the actions Moses had to do and the actions God did. Here's God's command to Moses. You go and say these words. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you like God. I'm going to make your brother like a prophet. 
I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt. I'm going to stretch out my arm. I'm going to make the Egyptians know I'm Yahweh. I'm going to bring my people out of, his, out of Egypt. I'm going to rescue everyone. What was Moses' jobs again? Just to say the words. What's our job? Why don't you go and make disciples? I want you to tell people about Jesus Christ. I want you to love as Jesus loved. What's God's job? The Holy Spirit will convict people of sin. Jesus Christ will do the forgiving. God will adopt them into His family. The Holy Spirit will give you strength to endure. The Holy Spirit will give you courage to decide to do the right thing. Jesus will pay your penalty. Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus will build your mansion in heaven. Jesus will reward you for your service. Jesus will give you eternal life. What was our job again? This is a theme. We're just called to obey. God does the work. He does the heavy lifting. Are we speaking? Let me rephrase that. Are we allowing God to speak through us? Are we serving in God's name? Are we offering salvation with our words and with our actions? That is the mission of our church. To take the gospel to all people, to transform hearts to be like Christ, and to train disciples to make disciples. All of that we do, we are just serving as God's slaves, and he does all the heavy lifting. And the elder said, hey, you know what would be great about our church is we, we really know that there are areas of hurt and oppression in our church and our city. And so what if we as a church, we went and spoke words of life in those broken areas and we offered help like we're so generous at doing to pull people out of that type of oppression and slavery, and then we give them Jesus Christ. And so we know that there are broken and hurting relationships in our church, and so we can focus maybe on marriages that are hurting, and we can speak life into those marriages because we're going to speak the words of God, and maybe we can help rescue a marriage and bring them out of oppression, and we're going to give them Jesus Christ, we're going to disciple them along the way. And we know people are hurting financially, and so we have some opportunity to help people uh, you know, with gifts of food, sometimes uh, pay some bills, sometimes some money. We can give them what God says, here's wisdom on how to handle your finances. We're going to help people. And we're going to lift them up out of financial slavery and we're going to give them Jesus Christ as we do it. And, you know, there are personal health problems all over Wilmington. And so uh, not only physical health, but emotional health and spiritual health and uh, depression and anxiety. And so we're going to speak words of truth and what God has done and we're going to let God's hand move to heal people. We're going to bring them up out of that physical oppression and slavery, and we're going to give them Jesus Christ while we do it. Are we even caring that there are people that are hurting? I love how uh, this, theme, this theme of God rescuing people out of physical slavery uh, points to this rescue from spiritual sin slavery in the New Testament, but God doesn't just say, just do the sin slavery. He says, help people. And so we as a church get to do that. 
And I also love how God starts these themes and he never seems to do the same thing twice. If you're going to go speak for God, it won't necessarily be like Moses who will be a God to Pharaoh. And it won't necessarily be uh, like Jesus Christ who died on the cross. It, It will be how God is going to use you in the city in which you live and in the family in which you live and in your culture in which you live. And so today is a great example of we get to go and we get to, we've been asked by other church leaders in the community to go pray for our city and pray for the addicted and those who are homeless and those who are hopeless. The key here is pray. At 1.30 today, a bunch of Christ followers will be praying for our city. If you can go walk the bike trail and pray as you walk, even that's fine too. But the key is to pray, and we're asking our churches to pray at 1.30 for the city. And I don't understand how it works, but God's hand moves by our prayers. It happens all through Scripture. This morning when you saw Christy be baptized, Guy and Sharon Osborne were in the back and they just do this behind the scenes. They don't want anybody to know. They just helped Christy get ready and encouraged her and helped her. And then when she came out, uh, they took her, she changed and gave them her wet clothes and they're going to take those clothes home and those towels home and they cleaned up the area and they're going to wash and dry those things and bring them back. And they are serving the Lord and speaking as if they were speaking the words of God. And that is a, nobody even knows about it. And we have uh, adults and students volunteering right now who are serving in our children's area and they are teaching our kids, the preschoolers and the elementary students, the words of God, literally speaking the words of God to them as they train them up in the way they should go. Our uh, children's minister, Cheryl, has said, hey, this year we're going to put together these birthday boxes. And what that means is our church can donate birthday parties in a box to our foster care children in our community. You know, there's about 80 foster care kids in our community. 20 bucks a box. Do the math, I can't. But our church can donate 20 bucks and it buys one of these birthday boxes. We put a little note in, Wilmington Church of Christ, from Wilmington Church of Christ, Jesus loves you. They get that box through job and family services. And isn't that speaking with words and with actions. As a church, we get to help do that. Are we seeking to save anybody? We need to ask ourselves this. Even my, uh, not even, sometimes my own heart is, is bitter and hard against people that I should be praying for. Jonah, you might have heard of Jonah and the big fish, Jonah and the whale. Jonah in chapter 3, story in a nutshell, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell the people there, if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. The Nineveh city is the Assyrians. Remember in Isaiah, God wants to save the Assyrians. He wants to save the Egyptians. He wants to save everybody. Jonah, the prophet, he goes to Nineveh. He says, if you all don't repent, God's going to destroy you. And then he heads up on the hill to overlook and watch how God destroys them because he wants them dead. In chapter 3 of Jonah, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Do we have that attitude of Jonah that we will not uh, reach out to people who are hurting and offer them salvation through Jesus Christ because we don't really want God to save them? We need to examine our hearts here. 
Luke chapter 9. I love this story too. It is so us. Luke chapter 9, um, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along sometimes. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, verse 54, I love this part. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Listen, the disciples were given some serious power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead they had. What was Jesus' response to that attitude? Jesus turned and rebuked them. What's our attitude to the lost in Wilmington? Are we allowing God to speak through us? Are we allowing ourselves to be servants of God so that we could save one more, just one more person? Or would God rebuke our attitude? Do we have the attitude of Jonah and the attitude of James and John that we don't really want to be involved with those type of people? Today's an opportunity to pray. Don't only pray for our city of Wilmington. Pray for our own hearts. Pray for the heart of our church that we would be soft toward God. That we would be molded and shaped by how He communicates to us through His Word, and through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. All we have to do is obey. God does the heavy lifting. In Deuteronomy, so Moses ends up writing this history by the power of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, Moses asked the people, God asked the people through Moses, he said, who are you going to serve? Choose this day, but choose life. And later, Joshua, he took over from Moses and he led the Israelites into the promised land and they started to worship these little false gods, these little powers, these little deities that were in the land that had idols. And Joshua stood up in front of the people and he said, Choose today who you're going to worship, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And all the people with one voice said, we are going to serve God. A couple of hundred years later, we get Elijah, and he is alone on a mountaintop surrounded by 450 prophets of Baal, a false god, and he turns to Israel. The people there have gathered to see, and Elijah asked them, who will you serve today? Will you serve the false god Baal with their prophets, or will you serve the true God of Israel, Yahweh? And all the people were silent. And they couldn't decide who they would serve. Wilmington Church Christ. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve ourselves? Have we made ourselves our own God? Are we going to serve all the little spiritual powers that exist all around us? Or are we going to serve Yahweh? I hope there is something stirring in your heart louder than the response. A good way to examine our heart is through communion. Jesus said, when you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. This is a memorial about what he has done for us. And while we participate in communion, he still continues to provide us 
grace and strength and mercy and forgiveness. And He is still working on us being saved. We have been declared saved. We are saved. We're in the process of being saved. And we will be saved. Communion is a beautiful example of these things. And so as we take the bread, Jesus said, take, this is my body, eat and remember to me. As we take this bread and we remember that Jesus was nailed to a cross, that He drank the cup of wrath intended for us, that He absorbed and submitted Himself to death that was intended for, to punish us for our sins, that He paid the penalty for our sins, we take that bread and we're reminded how much He loves us. How much He calls us to be different. How He calls us to sacrifice ourselves for His service as well. And as we take that cup and we're reminded that His blood poured out and covered over all of our sins, making us clean and whole, we're reminded that we're supposed to go offer that same forgiveness through the power of Jesus Christ to others. Let's pray. God, would You help us be Your servants? Would You remind us during this time of communion that we are the reason You hung on the cross is because of our sin that You are there. Would You remind us through this communion that it's because of Your love that You stayed there until it was finished, paying our penalty, absorbing our sin, and offering us forgiveness through Your sacrifice. Lord, as we examine our hearts and and ask ourselves, are we willing to serve for You knowing what You have done for us? We examine we find bad attitudes and hard hearts and failures to speak in Your name. And we are forgiven through the crucifixion of Christ. Lord, would You allow that joy that we have been forgiven, released out of spiritual slavery, to propel us forward to be Your speakers and your servants, and to offer salvation to everyone we encounter. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.